of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So as we begin this holiest of weeks in the life of the church, see Jesus praying on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's all too fitting that he begin his passion here. He's in the thick of the olive trees, spilling his blood for us as he cries out in agony to his God and Father. It's almost like we've been here before. For Jesus, there was a sense of familiarity with this place. He had been staying near there. He had been praying regularly in the garden in all those days leading up to his arrest and his betrayal and his eventual crucifixion. The gospel lesson we just read says in verse 39, he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him there. The disciples were familiar with this spot. They had been with him several times as Jesus had gone to pray. It was his custom. He had made it a regular habit. And Jesus knew that Judas would seek him there, away from the crowds. But Jesus didn't avoid it. Already on this night, Jesus was delivering himself over to be crucified. He could have easily gone anywhere else that he wanted. But this was the place that he chose. What is it about this place that Jesus sees as a fitting location for his focused time of agonizing prayer? for his struggle, his wrestle against temptation from the evil one. What is it about this place? I think we've been here before. Only days earlier, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and he fulfilled Zechariah's messianic prophecy that the king of Israel would ride into Jerusalem, taking that route near the Mount of Olives, revealing his kingship. And we commemorate that famous event in our worship today as people laid palm branches at his feet with shouts of Hosanna to the Son of David. And while this was the focus of that day in Jerusalem, there was also another messianic prophecy in play. Zechariah chapter 14 also notes that the Messiah would be revealed on the Mount of Olives. So in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, when he rode from Bethany to the Mount of Olives and then into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey, the Messiah was indeed revealed that day. Now here he is again at the Mount of Olives. Here he is crying out to God, agonizing over that brutal reality that awaits him. His messianic work. Here he is again, revealed as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The Messiah King rode near the Mount of Olives and into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and now the Messiah King was at the Mount of Olives on this night, staring down the barrel of God's wrath. We see there's a clear connection between Palm Sunday and Jesus' passion and His suffering, which this place of prayer brings together for us. This location reveals to us that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Savior of the world, no other location would do on this night. It had to be this place. This was where he was to be betrayed 
This was where he would hand himself over in obedience to the Father's will to suffer and die at the hands of sinful men. But there's more that strikes me about this scene. Jesus brought his disciples with him. He instructed them to keep watch and and to pray that they might not enter into temptation. And Jesus goes off and he retreats even further into the garden that he might pray as he is faced with his own temptations. Yeah, now it makes sense. We've been here before. On the first Sunday of Lent, we heard about Jesus' battle with the, the tempter, Satan, in the wilderness. He was out there for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. That was at the beginning of his public ministry, a precursor to what Jesus came to do on our behalf to win the battle. So from the wilderness to the garden, Satan didn't let up in his assaults against the Son of God. In the wilderness, Satan tempted Jesus to avoid suffering. Make this stone into bread. Throw yourself down from the temple and call upon angels to save you. Worship the devil and gain all the kingdoms of the earth. In other words, be the Son of God without going through all of that suffering nonsense. Gain the crown apart from the cross. Now, Scripture doesn't explicitly state that Satan is here in the Garden of Gethsemane, but you better believe that he is. One commentator, uh, Paul Kretzmann, he said this. He said, Satan was even then gathering his forces, marshalling all those forces of darkness to make one last attempt against the work of atonement. He doesn't want Jesus to go and pay for your sins and mine. If he could just get the Son of God to balk, to, to, to turn away from his destiny, there is no salvation for you and me. And the temptation here is very real. This is not hypothetical. It is real. We hear it in Jesus' voice as he cries out to God. We see it. We see Jesus here in this state of humiliation. Although he was the eternal son of God and he was in the form of God, as our epistle lesson said today, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And as a man, he learned obedience even to the point of eventual death on a cross. Jesus was having a very human experience, not only facing down temporal death in most brutal and insidious fashion, which is troubling enough, but he's also facing down spiritual death, the wrath of God that would be poured out upon Jesus for the sins of the world. And facing down such a death, Such a horrific and excruciating experience. Jesus was on his knees and even on his face. My friends, the Jews are not known for being on their knees and on their face. They did not pray that way. This is the posture of begging. As he prayed these words to his father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And note that Jesus was without sin. You and I, we can pray this prayer when we are facing suffering. When we are facing difficult things that threaten to push us to our very edge, we can pray this without sin. 
And not only are we to pray that we might be spared much suffering and pain throughout the trials of our lives, but the Lord Jesus also exhorts us to stay awake, remain vigilant in this life of prayer that we might not enter into temptation. It's what he told the disciples that night. It was the most important night in Jesus' earthly ministry up to that point. He wanted them to stay awake. Don't enter into temptation. Pray. Be watchful. And for you and me, it's what Scripture says in many places. We are to be watchful. We're to be sober-minded. Mindful that the devil wants to devour us. This cosmic battle in which we're engaged is no joke. It's a matter of eternal life and death. But like the disciples... We far too often can't hack it. When my wife and I are watching television at night, she can't keep her eyes open. She says, uh, I can't hack it. The disciples can't hack it. We can't hack it. We fall asleep when the battle rages on around us. And this is why our Messiah King had to enter into the world as a man so that He would fight in our place, so that He would reverse the curse, so that He can make right what we made wrong. This was why He came. It was to be His finest hour. He would do for us what we ourselves could never do. He would keep the law that we could not keep. He would resist temptation that we could never resist. He would say yes to God where we have said no. He stood in our place to say to God, Thy will be done. He says that in our place where we have only insisted upon our will. And now it becomes clear. Yes, we're in a garden. Jesus was familiar with this garden as his chosen place of prayer and the place that he would be revealed as Messiah. But you and I are familiar with it in some other way. We've been here before. There was another garden in the beginning. A place where we once had communion with God, where we were naked and unashamed. This place was called Eden. Did you know that the word Eden means delight? We were given the very delight of God. We were the recipients of all the good gifts that God could lavish upon us. We were called to walk in obedience to Him, entrusting our lives to our benevolent, loving, merciful Creator. But in Adam, in Adam, we rebelled against Him, turning away from His Word, turning away from the very delight of God. Adam said to God, not your will, but mine. Adam and Eve listened to those words of the old serpent that day. They gave in to the temptation to turn away from God's will, and they brought sin and death and condemnation upon all of us. It had to be there. It had to be there in that garden that night. It had to be in the garden where the second Adam would begin to reverse the whole thing. Eden means delight. But this is not Eden. This is Gethsemane. 
This is Gethsemane, and Gethsemane has its own meaning. The word Gethsemane means oil press or wine press. Do you know what those things do? They crush. Adam and Eve walked away from the very delight of God while Jesus, the second Adam, faced the crushing of the oil press. Hence the drops of blood that poured down his face as he sweated profusely, as he struggled against the devil, as he was coming to terms with what he had to do, what the Father had given him to do. And just as it seemed that it would be too much for our Lord, that he might abandon his mission, he says to God those words that Adam and everyone since then has failed to say. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The Father answers that prayer by sending an angel to minister to the Lord that night. Perhaps the angel assisted him by reminding him of the eventual glory that would result from his suffering. We don't know for sure. We only know that this was the Father's answer. Romans 5 says this, As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one of One act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Adam's disobedience brought us condemnation, but Jesus' act of obedience has brought us life. Jesus has reversed the curse of sin and death by becoming a curse for us, by taking our sin upon Himself, by being nailed to a Roman cross. This was what the Father had given Him to do. This was what Jesus said yes to. As you behold Him in the garden that night, see Him there for you. For you. This agonizing struggle is... For you. It's for you who have rebelled against God by sinning in thought, word, and deed. He is your Messiah King who is determined to win the victory for you so that you are made His own, so that you get to live in His kingdom, which has no end. That's what gave Jesus the strength to carry on His mission. Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 12 says, He endured the cross because of the joy that was set before Him. His people his kingdom. That's you. So after receiving the ministry of the angel, and after praying more fervently and sweating his great drops of blood, the Lord Jesus had all that he needed. He rose. He went to wake up his, his sleeping disciples. He was ready to drink the cup of God's wrath down to the very dregs. As we embark on this holiest of weeks, may our Lord give you eyes to see His suffering and death. May you cling all the more to His promise that this work is for you. Amen.